0: Welcome to the podcast for North Decatur Presbyterian Church. We are a PCUSA congregation located in Decatur, Georgia. You can find out more about the church, our service to the community, and our great education programs for children like me and youth and adults at ndpc.org. You can also follow us on Facebook. If you're in the Atlanta area, we hope you'll come join us in person. Okay, that's it. On to this week's scripture and sermon. Well, we are here today together on the third Sunday in the season of Advent, this season of waiting together. This third Sunday always takes me just a little bit by surprise. We've been lighting candles and we've gone purple candle, purple candle, and you think the third purple candle is coming next, right? Because that's what we do. We We just find a routine and we just do it, but no! This is the... The third Sunday, it's the pink candle, the candle of joy. It is just like joy to jump into our routines and interrupt them in a delightful way. So joy is what we want to talk about together today. And I want to begin by asking you to name a place or two in your life that you are experiencing joy in these days. I know uh, I know that joy is... For some of you, not the first thing that you are experiencing. This is a hard time. It is an unprecedented time and there are all kinds of, um, of deep feelings that are welling up. And maybe joy isn't the first one that you would name, but if we fail to name our joy, we are missing out on one of the, the best parts of being a human being. So let me give you an example from my own life. This past Sunday after worship, uh, I took my two youngest kids out to get a Christmas tree. We finally got around to getting a tree. Now, buying a tree, picking out and buying a tree is not one of the joyful parts of being a parent. Uh, it can be it can be rough, let's just say that, especially when you uh, are a parent who forgot to pre-order a tree during the pandemic. And so you end up driving to Lawrenceville uh, to find a tree. Um, But after all that was done, after we got the decorations up later on in the evening, our youngest came up to me, and he took me by the hand, and he said, Dad, will you come and sit with me so that we can look at the tree together? And I said, yes. And so we went and sat in the living room and turned all the lights down and we sat next to each other and looked at this beautiful little tree and there was me and there was William and I swear there was joy, right, sitting right between us. So where are you experiencing joy in these days? Where, where do you delight in the world, in yourself, in others. Maybe it's in nature, hearing the crunch of the leaves under your feet when you're out walking or or when you get to the top of a hill that you've been climbing and a vista unfolds that goes for miles. Maybe some of you like to sit by your window and watch the birds come down to the bird feeder Maybe some of you exercise and get your joy through physical exertion. Those endorphins start flowing. Maybe some of you uh, play an instrument. Or some of you read and get lost in some delightful activity and feel that beauty of joy. Or some of you uh, spend time with friends. And I know it's hard right now. That's one of the hardest parts of this time for sure. But, but even on the screen or taking a walk with a friend, being in the presence of someone who knows you and accepts you for who you are, that is an experience of joy. And even in the midst of this difficult time, we are still finding ways to celebrate together. We are we're celebrating milestones, birthdays and anniversaries. Big accomplishments are still taking place. We're celebrating struggles that our friends and loved ones have overcome. A last cancer treatment or uh, overcoming an addiction. Those are causes for celebration and causes for joy. And of course, for any of you who are able to spend time with children in these days, playing with them, even just being around them at Christmas time, can stir a sense of joy within us. So, our reading, our reading on this third Sunday of Advent, is an invitation to experience joy. So before I read it, I want to give you a little bit of background on this passage. We are reading something from the end of the first letter to the Thessalonians. This is the oldest work in the New Testament. It's written by the Apostle Paul. To a church that Paul helped to found, right? He founded many churches. This one in Thessalonica was, uh, was one of them. And so Paul has founded this church, but Paul has gone away from this little congregation. He's gone on uh, to other cities and other congregations. So imagine, if you will, a relatively new congregation, a new community. These folks are still new to worshiping this strange new God, this Christos, this crucified and risen God. So Paul has gone on, and he's left them, and and he's left them by themselves. And so you know what happens when a group of people gets left without some kind of good leadership. There is bound to be some anxiety that develops. Now, the letter, as we read this letter, 1 Thessalonians, gives us a sense of what the anxiety that this community, this church community, was feeling. One of the sources of anxiety was was who to listen to in Paul's absence, right? Right? Who can we trust whose voice has authority among us? A second source of anxiety that this little church community uh, is feeling has to do with waiting, right? They're not waiting necessarily for Paul to come back. They're waiting for Jesus to come back. The Messiah, they know, will return. And when the Messiah comes back, the Messiah will bring the fullness of the reign of God the fullness of what we call beloved community, life on earth as it is in heaven. The Thessalonians are not exactly sure what to do as they wait for the coming of the Messiah. So here at the end of the letter, Paul is going to give them a few instructions. A few instructions and then also something else important that I want you to listen for. So let's hear the words to this community at Thessalonica, but also hear them as words to us today in our season of Advent. Rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. Give thanks in all circumstances. For this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Do not quench the spirit. Do not despise the words of the prophets, but test everything. Hold fast to what is good. Abstain from every form of evil. May the God of peace, may the God of peace sanctify you entirely. And may your spirit and soul and body be kept sound and blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. The one who calls you is faithful. God will do this. This is the word of God for you, the people of God. Together we say, thanks be to God. So I I admit that whenever someone says something like, rejoice always, my first instinct is to say, what does that even mean, right? What does it mean to rejoice always? You can't always be rejoicing. There is a time, right, for every purpose. That's scripture, right, a time to be mad and a time to be sad and a time to be right? Those are all legitimate responses to the reality of the world that we live in. We can't always be rejoicing, especially now, right? Especially when you, when you want nothing more than to give your dad a hug or, or to curl your arm around your adult son or daughter as you spend Christmas together, but you're not able to because of COVID. And some of you are deep in grief Some of you are stressed up to here right now. And so much of it is because of the failure of our elected leaders to take this time and our situation seriously. And we're supposed to rejoice, Paul says, and pray without ceasing. Pray without ceasing. What what does that even mean, right? Listen, I'm lucky if I get 20 minutes a day to pray. I'm lucky if I get 10 I've got work to do, right? You've got work to do. We've got errands to run, and, and we've got to get some baking done, and we've got to get the car registration renewed. And, and what do you even mean pray without ceasing? We're not monks and nuns. We've got busy lives. And then he says, give thanks in all circumstances. Okay, fine, fine, we get, it. we get it. We're supposed to be grateful for what we have. We are grateful for all that we have. But, but there is some very, truthfully, right, there are some very, Sinister stuff going on in our world. And I have no desire to be thankful for all the hurt and all the stupidity and all the harm that we do to one another and to our planet. Give thanks in all circumstances. So as this passage is starting, right, I've already got my hackles up. You can see I'm a little... I'm a little suspicious. I'm digging my heels in a little bit. Why are you telling us to do things that are clearly impossible? So before I can argue with Paul, he moves on to his next statement. He says, do not quench the spirit. Okay, Paul. Literally, Paul says, do not extinguish the fire of God. Okay, so now I'm listening again, right? Uh, you know, maybe from listening to me for a while, that I love the Holy Spirit. I love this fire of God, the wind of God, the mysterious presence, the dynamic power of God that is felt more than it has ever seen. The Spirit of God that came to us at, at the day of Pentecost and caused people to understand one another across barriers of language and culture. The spirit of God that that is poured out on all flesh. that causes the young to see visions and the old to dream dreams. The spirit of God that knows no partiality, that reveals God's self in human equality. The spirit of God that brings fruits with it. Love, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. And I'm forgetting one. Oh, right, right. It's uh, joy. Do not, (laughs) do not in this time of waiting, Paul says, quench the Spirit. Do not, do not get in the way of the Spirit of God at work in your life. So Paul reminds the Thessalonians and reminds you and me that we are not the only ones getting things done around here. God is at work. The Spirit is moving among us. Open your eyes, open your heart. The Spirit of God is in you. So Paul goes on from there. He says, listen to the words of the prophets. We can do that, right? We can listen. And who are these prophets that we're listening to? We we listen, especially this time of year, to the prophet Isaiah, right? Right? who says, comfort, comfort ye my people. And there was something else that Isaiah says, Ah, something about one day every valley shall be exalted and every hill shall be made low and the crooked places will be made straight and the rough places made plain and the glory of the Lord shall be revealed and all flesh shall see it together. I know a prophet who said that. And we can listen to the prophets uh, of old, Amos and Jeremiah, and the prophets of not too long ago, Ida B. Wells, and the prophets of today like William Barber and Greta Thunberg. God did and God does send prophets into our world to show us what the Lord requires of us. Paul tells us to listen to the prophets, not just to listen to them, but to test them, to test the words of every prophet, person who wants our attention and wants our allegiance. He reminds us that our life of faith together doesn't have to suspend its critical faculties. The life of faith requires our critical faculties. Discernment, discerning true from false prophets is the job of our community of faith. We test the spirits, we weed out the bad ones and call them out the true ones will show us what the Lord requires of us, and that is to do justice and love kindness and walk humbly with God. So Paul, you can tell, you can tell Paul is starting to win me over in this last part of the letter to the Thessalonians. He began with what I first felt like were these totally unrealistic, unreasonable commands, but I'm coming around now with his words about honoring the work of the spirit among us and keeping up with our faithful work of discerning and listening to the true prophets. And then, and then after that, Paul does something that totally gets me. This is the one other important thing that I wanted you to listen for that I mentioned earlier. Paul gives a blessing He gives the community at Thessalonica a blessing, and he gives us a blessing. That may or may not seem like a big deal to you. Paul gives a lot of blessings in his letters. He blesses a lot of of folks. But this blessing hit me this week. There are a lot of things that I miss about being together with you in this worship space. I miss the singing and the music that fills up to the top of the ceiling in this space, the feeling of making a joyful noise together. I miss preaching uh, to real people rather than staring into a camera and preaching and not know what, not knowing whether you're falling asleep. I prefer to watch you fall asleep than to know that you're falling asleep on camera. But I realized this week that the thing that I miss the most about being in worship together is my capacity to bless you. For me, uh, being entrusted to bless you is probably the most special thing about being a pastor. I'm often uncomfortable about um, being an ordained minister of word and sacrament because of the ways it sometimes feels like it sets us apart from you. Like we pastors are absolutely no different than anyone else. We certainly are not holier than anyone else, but we pastors are entrusted to do some special things by you, our congregations. You entrust us to teach and to preach, and you entrust us to administer the sacraments, but you also trust us to offer blessings. A blessing uh, can be something formal, right? Um, we do this in the worship space, often on Holy Days, on Palm Sunday. We gather around the chancel at the end of service and we use oil and we bless you for the journey of Holy Week by putting oil on your forehead. And we bless you in a different way on Ash Wednesday in the space. We bless you for, uh, for the journey of Lent when we put ashes on one another's foreheads. But most often the blessings that that I and my pastoral colleagues, Beth and Mary Nona and Aaron offer, most often our blessings are informal blessings. More often than not, it's in the form of a hug. When I hug you or shake your hand warmly, look into your eyes, I want you most to know that God loves you. All of us need to know that, right? All of us need to not only know that, we need to hear it said to us. Not in some general way, like God loves everyone. We need someone to look at us and and tell us, God loves you. And then we need to feel that grace in our bodies. And that may be through the sign of the cross with a finger on our forehead, or it may be in the context of a caring embrace. God loves you. When I read Paul's blessing to this community at Thessalonica, I felt it. I needed to hear this blessing. And I immediately wished that we could all be in this sanctuary together on this Sunday. And if we were, I would ask you to put your arms on each other's shoulders. And I would ask you to speak this blessing to each other. And so right now, I want to ask you to, Just close your eyes. And if you're with someone, maybe you can go ahead and put your hand on their shoulder and receive this blessing, this ancient blessing as something fresh and new. May the God of peace sanctify you entirely. May your spirit and soul and body be whole. What beautiful words. Let the God of peace remind you who you are. You are holy you are whole, you are not flawed, you are not inadequate, you are not wanting for love, you are God's beloved child. It's hard for us to say those kinds of words to each other. It may even be hard for us to hear those words and to receive them as truth. But I want to say to you this morning, even if you struggle to say these things, and even if you struggle to believe them when they are said to you, to believe that you are holy and whole, even if you can't believe it, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter, Paul reminds us. Is the one who says them to you, the one who calls you, is faithful. God will do this. Who you are is not up to you. Who you are was and is and always will be determined by the one who created you and the one who calls you into being. This is God's will for you to know yourself as holy and whole. You know, we talk so much in Advent about waiting that sometimes I think we get tricked into thinking that Advent is about our waiting. But this season of Advent is about the one for whom we are waiting. We are waiting for God. We are waiting for the one who came to Mary, who promised her a child that would pull the mighty down from their thrones and lift up the lowly and fill the hungry with good things. We are waiting for the one who restores our fortunes by bringing water into the desert. We are waiting for the one who brings mountains down low and raises up valleys. We are waiting for the one who forgives us and heals us and makes us new. We are waiting for the one who blesses the poor and the gentle and the merciful and the peacemakers. We are waiting for the one who gives us eyes to see and ears to hear. Signs of the beloved community, the kingdom of God, breaking in all around us. We are waiting for the one who planted seeds long, long ago, that that bear fruit that looks like love and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and self-control and gentleness and joy. We are waiting in Advent for the one who is faithful. God will do these things. And because this is true, because this is true, we can rejoice. We can rejoice now and always. Thanks be to God. Amen.